welcome to Mostly Books Meets. I'm Sarah. I'm Imogen. And I'm Lindsay. And together we are the team at Mostly Books, an award-winning independent bookshop. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking to authors, journalists, poets, and a range of professionals from the world of publishing. We'll be asking about the books that are special to them, from childhood favourites to the book that changed their life. And we hope you'll join us for the journey. Hi, it's Imogen. Today I'm talking to children's author and illustrator David Melling. Over his career, David has created over 150 books. His picture books include The Kiss That Missed, Once Upon a Bedtime, and the much-loved Huggless Douglas series. He's also written and illustrated books for young readers. He's been published in over 30 languages and has been shortlisted for many awards such as the Kate Greenaway and the Smarties Book Award. Mostly Books is lucky to have worked with him many times over the last few years, both in a shop, where I've even been dressed as Huggless Douglas, and with our local schools. So welcome to the podcast, David. Thank you. Nice to be here. So if I could take you back to where it all started, you grew up in London and your dad was a sculptor. Can you tell me what life was like? Oh, it was a very happy childhood. I'm seeing myself very lucky, very blessed. Lovely family, got a brother and two sisters. Just fairly sort of normal but happy childhood. You know, I was, I was, um, I was always busy at home. I was always lucky to have a, a brother or one of my sisters to play with. So it's no, no problem with that. And yeah, it's pretty good. Were all of your family quite arty? I think they probably were actually. I mean, I think I always say that um, you know when people say, you know, how how do you how do you get to draw like that? I think all kids, all kids draw naturally uh, and enjoy drawing and mark making and doing all those sorts of things when they're young, and there just comes a point where that recedes for a lot of people. But I mean, I wouldn't say my dad, you know, he was a sculptor, of course, and he had a studio, he had a, a workshop in the garden, and you know, we used to go in and see him do all that. Um, but it, it, it didn't kind of infiltrate the house. There wasn't art materials all over the house or things like that. But, you know, it was there and that was nice. And, um, you know, if we drew, he'd show an interest. And so that, that, that can help, of course. But I think all four of us enjoyed drawing, uh, some more than others at various points in our lives growing up. But we all had a, had a stint of drawing and enjoying it and uh, showing an interest. So, yeah, I would say, you know, whether that's more than most, I don't know. Because as I always say, I, I know kids all, I'm sure, all kids enjoy drawing, and I just think we had a, we were lucky to have a, he- a very healthy environment for that. Um, where, you know, for us growing up. What's one of the first things you remember drawing? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, it's funny you say that because every so often I think, where are all those drawings? I, you know, it's a shame. I don't think I, I'd ever made the decision I'm going to throw all of these stuff, all this stuff away. But I guess in life, I, I wonder whether parents surreptitiously do it when they have uh, cleanouts every so often as you grow older. Um, I don't know. I can't remember very early drawings, but I do remember very well drawing, um, I think it was a leopard or a polar bear. I think it was a leopard and really having problems with the legs and just showing my dad, cause I used to go and show him, you know, what do you think? And I, you know, he used to, yeah, you know, firm but fair, you know, oh, this isn't quite right or whatever. But I remember being excited cause he said, that's really good. And I think, oh, wow. You know, so I remember being, those, that, you know, that excitement doesn't go away if you kind of feel you've done a good drawing. There was a nice feeling towards that. But I, I do remember that. How old was I with him? Probably, I don't know, six or seven, I guess. I don't know. But I don't remember, you know, um, 
yeah, that's a memory I have, a, a young memory of drawing and showing my dad and getting some feedback, yeah. Yeah, I always remember, because I used to obviously draw as a child like we all did, and I always used to avoid animals because I could never quite get them right. So moving on to slightly more bookish, what's the first book you remember reading? I remember Winnie the Pooh, but I do remember, I just have a memory of, not a very clear one, but I have a memory of reading A Cat in the Hat. And with my mum, and I think... I like the pictures, but I remember ever so slightly being unsettled by the concept of this kind of character coming into your house and kind of slowly but surely trashing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what would I do if that happened here? You know, that type of thing. But yeah, that's an early one. So I don't know. I can't remember how old I was then, but pretty young, I would say. I grew up with those books too. All of his books were slightly unsettling in one sense, but they stick with you. Yeah, very much so. And of course, I do remember joining the rhythm of the rhyme and and that was a playful way of engaging with the narrative wasn't it i don't know whether it's a common knowledge but he was challenged to write a story with 30 words or 50 words was it that or was it green eggs and ham it was one of those and it so it's very repetitive for that reason he was challenged to write a picture book with a very limited number of words i could have got it wrong maybe it's green eggs and ham but it was one of those he does it so well it's so clever yeah and even with 50 words because quite a few of his books don't have a huge amount of words in because they're all repetitive. Mm -hmm. I think I can recite most of, I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them. Some I am. (laughs) Yeah. It's so clever because you, when you look at it and you know that you think, God, yeah, there's just those handful of words repeated in different form and it, it just really works. It's very clever. Brilliant. Slightly further on, you became a freelance illustrator. Can you tell us how that came about? I suppose it's probably worth just saying, I didn't go route one. It took me, I would say, probably a decade of zigzagging my way through, broadly speaking, the arts. I remember being at art college, about 17, and I was really drawn to illustration. And I didn't know at the time, daft, I suppose, that it was narrative illustration that interested me. I just thought, oh, illustrator, you know, doing pictures, I'd love to do that. And I remember the tutor at the time said, oh, no, graphic design would be much better. You're, you know, I can see you doing that. You'll be much better. And I went, okay. So I went off and did graphic design, and, and I really didn't like it. It was back in the day when there were no computers, so you had to sort of mathematically work out the font sizes and plot that onto a page. And I was appalled at all of that. I thought, oh, no, I want to be drawing. I don't want to be doing this. But there was a, a photography part of that course, and I, I then went off and did photography for three years. And then towards the end of that time, which I enjoyed very much, but I, I realized it wasn't quite – I remember drawing a lot during – the course and, and drawing the ideas and then having to go and photograph it. They encourage you to keep a sketchbook. And then I just remember thinking, oh, I've got to go and photograph it now. I'd much rather just sit and finish the drawing, you know. And so then that kind of planted the seed. I wasn't quite where I, I needed to be. And to cut a long story short, a friend of a friend introduced me to a graphic designer, ironically. He used to work with my dad, actually, locally, uh, where I grew up. And he said, oh, I know an illustrator who uh, sometimes likes people to come and work in his studio if you want to go and meet him so we met and and he just said look I'm not going to pay you but if you want you can sit in the corner here and I can show you what I do you know so this was back in the 80s and I did what was called an enterprise allowance scheme which if you had a good business idea rather than sort of join the unemployed they're kind of a working scheme uh employment scheme and it was great so I think for 40 pounds a week I sort of signed up for that and I, I went and worked in the studio for about just under a year I think and I just built up a portfolio of work, and then that got me to about, I think around, I can't remember the exact times, around mid-80s, uh, late 80s, 86, 87. And then, I, yeah, I, I embarked on my first 
round of illustration as a, as a freelance illustrator. And I do work for magazines and editorial work for magazines and some work for advertising agencies, which was interesting. Uh, and that was kind of okay, but I didn't quite hit my sweet spot. And I, I was slightly unsettled thinking, oh, I thought it'd be better than this. There was one story in advertising. I used to work very realistically with colour pencil. And it was a campaign to, or a piece where I had to illustrate two children eating a bowl of pudding with this custard. The custard was the product. And they had to be happy, smiley children going, mmm, that sort of cartoon, mmm, look, you know. And I did the drawing, I sent it off, and they said, oh, yeah, we love this, but I'm not quite sure about the expression. It's not quite working. Could you just... And they, they sort of give me sort of a feedback, you know, she, she, she's not looking quite as happy as he does. And, you know, just imagine that, that he's a really nice sugary flavor and, you know, all these kind of descriptions and, and try and get that emotion into the expression. So I'll go, right. And color pencil is not great for rubbing out. So I sort of rub it out a bit and you see all these ghost lines. Then I tweak the corner of the mouth and then, then I send it back and you go, yeah, that's okay, but now the boy's not looking quite, you know, and he'd be back and forth. It went on for weeks, and I was just, I was a broken man at the end of it. <laughs> and I remember thinking, this isn't what I thought it would be. You know, I thought it'd be more fun than this. Editorial was more interesting because you were given a bit of leeway. My first ever job as an illustrator was to illustrate a story or an article about getting into credit card debt. And I did a, a drawing of, of a girl slumped in a chair holding a statement looking very upset <laughs> but at least there was a bit of flexibility with advertising because of being an advertising agency they want full control over how their product looks and everything about it so essentially you're given a tracing paper almost with a very scribbly rough drawing and then you have to draw exactly what they want you have to fill that page the, the shape the size or whatever the product is etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's a lot more limits there but it was uh, advertising better is a better paid job but it was a for me personally it was a soulless way of working and i i didn't particularly enjoy it yeah it must be quite hard because with illustrating and drawing you often see in your head your idea so to draw out your idea and then have them go that's nothing what like what we were thinking no, you're right. And I think I remember talking to other illustrators later on when you meet, as you do, you meet fellow illustrators and you know, used to share stories. And, and we used to say, particularly with advertising, agencies would look at your work for your style and they go, oh, we love this guy's work. We love the way he paints oranges, for example, you know, uh, and the use of light and all the rest of it. And then they say, right, we want you to draw, you know, we want you to paint this banana, but not like that. We want it to be like this. And, it, and then they try and change everything about where you are. And, and often, you won't get the best out of someone like that because they, they're trying to sort of bend you to their will. Of course, they want to be in control and they want you to, you know, work with their product. But at the same time, it, it becomes to the point where you just think, well, why don't you get someone else to do it then? I, I don't understand where you're using me because you know, often the sort of things they'd ask you to do aren't the sort of thing that you have in your portfolio. It was a weird time and it was quite confusing. By the time I did this, I was mid-20s and it was the first proper out of working up to that point i'd only really worked as weekend and evening jobs you know not properly it's the first time i'd actually got embarked in the real world so i was a little bit late in <laughs> developing with clients and and dealing with the real world so it was all very confusing and and as i say i didn't see it coming in a way so i was a slightly disillusioned the other thing i found by the way is i wasn't particularly busy so i would have no work during the week working from home and then on a friday just when i was really looking forward to the weekends where i could meet up with friends who were working and then I get a call saying, oh, we got this campaign. We need you to do this drawing. We need it Monday morning. And he said, oh, so then I have to work all weekend. 
and then not see anyone. So it was kind of, um, yeah, it was all that sort of thing. It just wasn't quite working for me. Anyway, and then a friend of mine asked an animation studio, we're looking for some illustrators that worked with color pencil, uh, whether I'd be interested in, in going along and seeing what they wanted. So I did. And suddenly I just hit my sweep swap with that because I suddenly found myself, A, with a job that they wanted me for three weeks full time, which is amazing. I mean, freelance, but you know, you go in for three weeks and doing backgrounds. And I just uh, suddenly found myself, I was dropped into this world of story and narrative. And it was for an advert, I think it was, but it was a story. It was a sort of like a cartoon, if you like, of someone animated. And it just, it just drew me into that world. And suddenly I was, I was completely engaged in that way of being. And then on and off for three or four years, that's what I did. I went from uh, towards the end of that time said, oh, there's another studio around the corner. They're looking for some people. Would you be interested? Because if you can imagine then these animation, they're not just for adverts, but for TV films. I did a few TV films and stuff. There's quite a big crew. So people get to know who works for who. And then they say, oh, you worked on that. Do you want to come and work on this? So I'd, I'd be zigzagging around London, working at different studios. And I worked on Father Christmas, the Raymond Briggs. That was one of the things I did and, and a few other TV half hour films. So yeah, it was good fun. It must have been really lovely as well, because things like the Raymond Briggs mm. are just so well known. Mm. And they're so beautiful, those short films. I mean, it was very rewarding to work on those because those sorts of jobs lasted nine months to a year, literally, whereas the TV ads might last for sort of maybe two months. And towards the end of that time, it's like a 30-second ad, and people would say, when's it going to be aired? Oh, it's you know, aired in, in about a month. So and it, you'd sort of see it on TV, and it would go, zip, 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 zip. it'd be over like three seconds. And you think, was that it? Two months' work for that? It was just like, wow, all that for that. But it was good. I enjoyed it very much, and it was a good time, and it kind of connected me. I've always worked from home, and again, as I said, I touched on, in the early days when you work from home, it can be quite solitary, and although I'm very happy with that, at the beginning, not so much, because I didn't know anyone. I was just starting out, and it can be difficult and can be quite isolating. So when I went into these animation studios, it was really nice to meet and have still got friends from that time. Just, you know, you just enter a world where they're, fellow artists, fellow illustrators, animators, and it's a good world to be in. So that was nice. It was, a good, it was an important time for me, that. That was around sort of mid to late uh, 80s, I think, by then. Did working on the animation projects teach you anything about illustrating that you didn't really expect to learn? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I do question now why I was so slow <laughs> to look at children's books. Uh, the only thing I'm just referring back to my early days, advertising editorial, People would say, I would look at illustration, and I'm sorry, but children's books. People go, oh, there's no money on that. And it was notoriously poorly paid, notoriously so. So everyone just said, don't, you know, it's just not worth it. So I thought, oh, okay. So it kind of put me off. But when I started working in these studios and you were looking at, you know, you were working on an animation film. I worked on Grandpa, one of the John Burningham books. That was another half-hour TV thing. You know, and you, and you look at the book, you know, they had the book in the studio, several copies, obviously, and you're looking at that and you're doing backgrounds. And I was a renderer as well, by the way, which is a thing. All this is pre-computers, of course. It's important to stress I was never an animator. I wasn't trained as an animator. So my job was a renderer and a background artist. And what I would do, I'd be given a pile of, of animation cells. So an animator would draw, make the drawing, trace it onto a cell. Someone would paint on the back. And then I would be given the, the finished cells, if you like, these acetates with the drawings on. And my job was with a crayon to, in the, in the case of um, Father Christmas, you know, he's got red cheeks, for example, and I'd be there with a red crayon colouring in the um, the cheeks. And you have to have a broad knowledge of movement. So you'd be flicking the three or four drawings at one time to see how the face moves across and you sort of follow the 
cheek shadow, if you like, you're going across. I loved it. For two or three years, I absolutely loved it. But after a while, you realize that actually, I'm just coloring in pictures here. And, and that's all. So after a few years of really looking over animators' shoulders and seeing how they did it, I did consider a life in animation. But uh, again, I don't know, really, really good animators that I saw, they were just sort of working all the hours of godsend doing these things. And I thought, I don't know, I'm not quite sure. It seemed a bit like a, it was a hard, hard job. And I think my point being that when I spoke to one or two animators and that their dream was to work on a movie, you know, and of course there's always that possibility, but the reality is for most animators is that you kind of got to do the groundwork on, on all these types of films and the years can go by anything. But the one thing that I was drawn to were the books that we were animating and there was a VIP coming in one day and it was John Birmingham and he came in and on this and I just remember looking at it and thinking, I need to be that guy looking at my book worked at rather than the guy sitting here coloring in his drawings you know essentially and that kind of inspired me to do that and around that time as well I read a lot about animation and how it worked and there's a, a bible that I still consider to be certainly for a long many years I think it's the illusion of life which is a, a huge book written by the animators of Disney about the whole principles of animation and although I think you can see the influence of animation in my work, but um, it was all about character and, and the way to draw anticipation and movement. But it, I, I, I carry that through now. So when I draw my characters, I am thinking what they might say, how they may walk, and, and, and all that becomes part of the character that I try and create when I'm, when I'm doing a drawing. So, yeah, it did have a big, big influence on, on the way I looked at things. I do love the fact that... Almost everything you did did lead you up to the point of illustrating and writing your own book. Yeah, yeah. You just had to find it a bit more. I love that. Yeah. And I was very lucky because I didn't have the support of my family, for example. I mean, I think by the time I finally got into children's books, I was 30 years old pretty much, which is very late. But I go back those last 10 years and I think in life, nothing's wasted. You know, you do whatever you experience becomes part of who you are and the way you look at things. And, and I look back at all these kind of, at the time I thought, oh, what am I doing? I've, I've just turned left. I should have been going straight on or, or, you know, what have you. But you look back and think, oh, actually, I can see how that's useful now. And that's played a part in seeing the way I am here and this, that, and the other. And the animation years, again, I've got nothing but positive things to say about it. But towards the end, it was frustrating. And after about four years, it, I had this dilemma of, you know, oh, there's a job six months around the corner at so-and-so studio. Do you want it? And I'm thinking, oh. Do I really want that again? Whereas what I really want to do is to get into children's books. By now, I, that's, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And by the way, often these productions, you do often work weekends and evenings. It was pretty full on. So there came a point where I had to make a decision. I thought, you know what? I'm going to say no to that. I'm actually going to voluntarily pull out of work, not get paid, not earn any money, and just get my own portfolio together and go from there. And it was, it was a big moment. And I had the support of my family at the time. Without that, I probably wouldn't have been able to do it. And um, that was huge for me to have that opportunity. And that was motivation enough to really work hard and do that. And and I did. And then when I finally got a children's uh, agent, I was lucky. It's a long story, which I don't necessarily go into here. But I met someone who knew someone who suddenly said, oh, if you want, I'll be your agent. I went, okay. Again, you always need a bit of luck in life, I think. You can work hard, but at some point, you just need a little bit of luck. But it took another two years when I finally got an agent to get into children's books who said, yeah, well, I can get you published. This will be fine. But it took another two years. So there were some lean years there. So I think my first book, I, the first book was published in 94, which would have had me, I was about 32 then. Late to get into it. I mean, not never late to change career, I always say that. But 
from realizing, actually, I want to get an insurance book. So I was probably about 28, 29. And I think people come to me often and say, oh, how do I, I really want to write a book and I've got this idea and this, that, and the other. And, and there's an assumption you can hear as, you, as they're talking that they think in six months it could be on the bookshelf. And you think, yeah. <laughs> I mean, publishing is a wonderful industry, but it's notoriously slow, very slow paced. Yeah. Certainly compared to some like advertising where, you know, you do a job, you hand it in, and two weeks later it's on a billboard, for example. Books are literally, literally years in the making. I get that as well. Obviously, working in a bookshop, we do get a lot of hopeful writers. Yeah. And yeah, one of the questions is always, how do you do this? And I always just think you've got to have patience. The other thing I find, which I find a little bit, you roll your eyes and you bite your lip, but I mean, I get it a lot, actually is our pitch books. I mean, you know, how long does that take? There's an assumption that if a 500-page, 500-word picture book takes as long as it takes to write 500 words, and then you've got a story, you know, and you get paid for that. Wow, how easy is that? I always say, yeah, but the trick is to get the right 500 words in the right order. (laughs) Not so easy. (laughs) But, yeah, so there is an assumption that children's books, particularly picture books, are really dead easy. I meet people like that all the time, I'm afraid. I always have so much respect for children's illustrators and authors because I find children are sometimes the ones that are the hardest to sell to. They'll look at a cover and they'll flick through the first pages and if they see a word they don't like, they'll just go, no, I don't want this one. Absolutely. So for children to pick up books themselves and see a cover or for children to to really, really love books, it takes so much incredible skill. And I love picture books anyway. Working in a bookshop, I see a huge amount of mm. them. You have got 500 words, but you do so much with them. Oh, absolutely. It's brilliant. No, totally. I mean, I think, well, first of all, I would say I don't consider myself a particular, I mean, I am an author, but I see myself an, as an illustrator that writes. You know, I always wince slightly at the idea of saying I'm an author because but technically I suppose I am. But but for, for children's books, the key with that is, you you know, you really do have to get to the point really quickly. And I'm lucky with picture books. I have done older fiction or rather, you know, young fiction, but past picture books. But with picture books, certainly as a writer and illustrator of a picture book, you have the luxury of being in control of juggling the words and the images, which is a, a crucial part of, of picture books. But it's, yeah, you have to kind of get to the point straight away. And, and if it's too drawn out, you know, you lose interest and all those sorts of things. No, it's certainly not easy. And I know plenty of writers of older books that find it difficult to do picture books. So it's a, it's a particular skill, I think. And I think in terms of me writing, I, I, I never thought I would write, never in a million years. And I, I'd been illustrating probably about four, five, six books. So the stories I was getting to illustrate, I was being shown, to, well, you know, what do you think of this story? And I'm thinking, oh, I don't know, I'm not sure about that. And then they said, well, have you thought about writing yourself? I thought, oh, no, I wouldn't be able to do it. I said, well, hang on, just think about that. And so I thought, well, actually, maybe I could give it a go, you know, and I, I do start from a, an illustrator's mind and, and there's definitely, a, you know, there's pros and cons to that. I mean, you know, writers have a, a writer's mind, illustrators and illustrator's mind, obvious as that sounds, they are, they are two different things. And so I don't consider myself a particularly amazing writer, but I, I am able to do it because I can sort of link the two together. And I always think, in a way, <laughs> I describe it a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. I'll, I'll get random pieces together, and they, they're usually sketches in a book. And they, they may not necessarily relate to each other, but over three or four or five or six pages of sketches, you kind of draw a few links in between, you know, link up some of those images, and then you start putting them together and clicking them, and some of them fit together, some of them don't. But eventually you build up a picture, and it becomes this broader narrative, a broader story. And, and at some point, 
the drawing stops or becomes less, and that's when the writing kicks in. That's the way I work anyway. Other people, I think Shirley Hughes, amazingly, writes completely from beginning to end a story. I think I read it was her before she even picks up a pencil. And um, again, everyone to their own, but I'm very the opposite way. I start with a pencil and often I draw pretty much the story before I start thinking of of, of writing it. But um, yeah, interesting, isn't it? How different people work. Yeah, that was actually one of the questions I had written down to ask you, what was your process? So that's actually really interesting. Mm. But I suppose it is the same as writers. You get some writers who plan out everything from start to finish and some who just open up a new word document and just start Mm. everyone has a different way and it's whichever way you find works for you absolutely agree with that you know everyone has a different way of working and 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 quite frankly actually as far as i'm concerned i don't think any two books for me have been an exactly an exact replica of from beginning to end of how it's evolved into a, a finished book you know, I, I, those are broad strokes. I start drawing, I think of an idea. I might, after three or four pages, start writing a few words down. I do start thinking about character and how that character may walk or act. So, for example, there's a good example, actually. I did a book a few years ago, a picture book, The Tell Jack Frost, and in it was a character. I loved making up characters. I, I love drawing animals a lot anyway. That's my preferred way of drawing because you can just pull around and muck around with those and they uh, make up all sorts of funny shapes and what have you so it's a you know sort of magical winter forest and uh, i was made up this character and as i was drawing this character i was imagining how this character might walk and it was a bit like a wolf but really long really long gangly legs and it reminded me as i was drawing of going to school in the mornings and being at the bus stop my sister my younger sister and i we'd often sort of joke about different things and there was a guy who don't know his name just as well probably and he had a really kind of kind of loopy lopy walk it was quite a weird walk and he sorry my sister named him with her friends uh bing bong bandy legs <laughs> just because the, he had too many limbs on him as he was walking along bouncing along it was like a trampoline under him and um as i was drawing this years later years later that name came into my mind so i named that character bing bong bandy legs and, that, you know, those sorts of things kind of come back in. But so I do think about character, how they move and what have you. And then I write things like names or actions down. And then the writing just tends to increase in the sketchbook as the pages go on. And then not just words, but suddenly phrases and sentences. And then they just come a natural point when I think, all right, I'm ready to write now. Uh, and then I'll, I'll take it out. And that can be, it could be days into drawing. It could be weeks into drawing. You know, it really can. Can you tell us a bit about the last book that you read? I'm really busy at the moment. I don't like not having time to read, but the last few weeks now, I just haven't been able to start a new book. So funny enough, I don't know uh, how other people, I'm terrible at remembering things. I, you know, I'll pick up a book. I thought, I read this and then I'll read halfway through it. I think, do you know what? I cannot. Anyway, there's a book called A Year of the Hair by Arto Pasolini, I think he's Finnish. And I found it on the shelf a few weeks ago and I thought, <laughs> I looked at it and I thought, I've definitely read that book. I looked at the back, I thought, I do not remember one thing about this book. So I read it, and it's in a sentence or two. It's about a a guy who hits a, a hare driving through a country lane, and he decides it survives, and he decides to look after it, and it becomes his pet. And he decides to walk away from his disgruntled, unhappy life as a journalist and unhappy marriage and live a free, roaming life through Finland. It's really good. I'm a slow reader, and there are so many books I'd love to read, and every so often I commit to a huge doorstop of a book, and it can take forever, but that was a nice quick one. Yeah, I have to admit, I didn't know about that book before, but I looked it up, and I saw the cover, and I read the blurb, and I just went, 
now I want to read that book. It is a good book. It's kind of black comedy. I think it's probably close. It's not comedy. I wouldn't say it's comedy, but there's some funny bits in it and it's charming. It's nice. And it's it's about sort of walking away from a disgruntled life and actually having the courage to do that and in, you know enjoying the wilderness. He sort of camps out at night a lot and he encounters ravens and bears. But at the same time, quirky people, some of whom are deeply suspicious of this strange, slightly disheveled man walking around with a hair and other people that recognize the free spirit in him he crosses with the police at times again more through suspicion than anything else and he walks into bad situations as well as as good ones and it's just yeah it's good it's fun i'm very much the type of person who has a book in every single room i go into to read do you read one book at once or do you read multiple books well i'm exactly like that i mean i've got more books it's crazy how many books i've got and i'm always like that i do usually have one principal book i'm reading but i'm always picking up another book and having a look i usually don't favor reading two or three books from beginning to end just because i usually find myself in the mood for a particular book and then oh good i can go back to that book now but i do have so there's that main book but i i'm always dipping into other books um but not just fiction non-fiction and i've got a huge amount of art books which i really like and that inspires me so i'm always looking at those as well so but i've got so many books it's just, yeah it's not good <laughs> i need to do something about that i've got so many it's crazy i'm completely the same i have an embarrassing amount of bookshelves that i probably look like i live in a bookshop myself but i think if you love books you do surround yourself in them you know it's a good thing books are good I know myself that sometimes you read a book that completely changes your life. Do you have a book that's done that for you? Yeah, now this has been a tricky one because you gave me a little list of things to consider, of which that was one. There are books that have meant something to me that have stayed with me, but I can't say that I've had, I think the phrase I had in the the comments was a book that's changed your life. I can't say there is a book that's changed my life, but I've thought of two books that kind of meant a lot to me and they've carried through one on a much lower level, but um, which is the Asterix books. When I was a kid, I loved Asterix. I mean, I really read a lot when I was a kid. I think we all did in my, in my house. Um, but I love the Asterix books. And I think the reason why I kind of picked that up is that I think, and I'll, I'll choose Asterix in Britain, which is probably one of my favourites. But apart from the humour and the drawing, I really connected with the drawing. I just loved the drawing. I just thought it was so good. But And I love the way that the images and the words work together. And I do remember that, I do remember very much at 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 this young age, I'm talking eight, nine, really, I think. And and I used to look uh, to date, really, from eight, nine to now, you know. But I looked at those and I thought, yeah, these pictures are are contributing to the narrative. I I don't think I even thought of that sentence in in such a lucid way. But I remember constantly looking reading it and then reading it again with the pictures you know reading the words and then going back and do, and i would sort of pour over this time and time again and i'd 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 look at something and then there'd be one or two panels with no words while while the pictures carried on the narrative before the and that that's a really that's a really important part of picture book writing i think you know and illustrating and and so that's a in hindsight you look back and that's yeah that's a real moment there you know uh, and the other one i think um and I read it again not long ago, and I read it so probably the book I've read the most uh, is My Family and I've on My Family and Other Animals by Gerald Durrell. And I just love that book. And um, I don't remember when I, how old I was when I start when I read it first, probably about 12, 13. And I just everything about it, I just loved it. I loved animals. Um, I mean, when I was a kid, I thought I'd be a biologist or something. And I, 
I mean, I'm lucky that I can. I found myself drawing animals as a way of living, really, which is the best of both worlds: books, <laughs> books, drawing, and animals. Fantastic. Um, but it, for for a time, I kind of I fancied the idea of working with animals. I thought zookeeper or working in Africa, doing I'm not quite sure what. You know, back in those days, none of this Google thing that you can Google something and just get more of a sense. I just had, I just thought, oh, I don't know, something with animals. <laughs> but, um, but I just love that. And it's a, a kind of, um, I just thought, he's got the perfect life. He's, he lives in this amazing, you know, it was my family that loved animals. is about his three or four years that he lived with his family in Corfu. And he just really describes, He just he's just such a, an amazing writer, describes the heat of the, the country and, and the experiences of, scratching around looking at animals and and you know um, describing everything how he learned about them and everything i just love that and i thought oh, wouldn't I, i'd love to do that but it's my go-to book and i read it a few years ago and absolutely it's as good as, now when i read it as it was then and i think i don't know whether he's underrated as a writer but it's an extra he is an extraordinary writer he can write a sentence and he just you're there and you think wow how does he do that and that, you know nowadays i read it i think and i go back to a sentence and think, how does that that collection of words just absolutely hits the spot and suddenly you are experiencing you're, you're smelling the the fragrance of the flowers for example or the, the sounds of the insects or whatever it's extraordinary it's, i love it so yeah that would be my choice for that i have to admit i haven't actually read it Ooh. um but it is on my <laughs> you should it is on my endless tv red pile mainly because I did watch the TV show when it first came out and mm. I enjoyed that so much that I do want to read the book. Mm. What book do you think everyone should read? Yes, I had to think about this as well, actually. And um, I only read it a few years ago and it's an extraordinary book called Storm of Steel by Ernest Junger. It's a book about uh, an ordinary chap, a German chap, who goes to war in World War One, who signs up, joins up, and his experiences during World War One, and it's just the most extraordinary. It's a tough read in some respects because, as you can imagine, he um, he doesn't have a good time of it. Uh, goes into the trenches and his experiences of raids and all sorts of things, but it's just the most extraordinary read. But it's about that horrific time, and it just always touches me. I think the connection I always have is my dad was an RF pilot, and he was. Um, he joined up at 18 and we have a picture of him, you know, fresh eyed at 18. And I remember thinking before I was 18 and 18 and at 18 thinking, just imagine having to do that, you know, and, and what would that be like? So anyway, he, he signed up at 18 and we shot down and he became a POW for two years. And so when I think when I, uh, apart from reading about animals, which I loved as a kid and nonfiction books, I, I also loved reading war stories. And, and just, I remember as a kid, just reading, uh, just imagining dad being, uh, you know, RF stories about you know, pilots being shot down, you know, reach the sky, Douglas Bader, that type of thing. And, you know, in my mind, it was dad, you know, doing all these things. And uh, so I've got a connection with that in, in some respects. And and when I read this, and it's just the most extraordinary read because, you know, you're just there and you think, what, what must it be like? I, you can't imagine these are normal people going to war and it's horrific experiences and you're just dealing with this stuff and it's just on a different plane. It's just amazing. I was just going to say that I understand the the feeling of reading it because my family is big into family history and we have researched the time where I think it was my great uncle was in World War One, and we've researched all of the stuff about what he did. Right. But you put yourself in those shoes and 
he was younger than me mm. and I sit there and think I don't think I'd I couldn't imagine doing anything like that absolutely I always think the same just you know these young you know men and women you know that that had the most horrendous experience and you know they didn't want to be there but they had to be there you know on both sides I mean again what's what's quite interesting is it's he doesn't really talk he doesn't judge really it's just a narrative a retelling really of his experiences so there's no real kind of political passion there there's no kind of this is all wrong whatever it's just matter of fact way of day-to-day life so you really in some respects you really do get involved in what it must be like and it, it's a tough read at times but it's also it's, i think it's an important read and i would recommend it yeah so finally can you tell us anything about what you're working on at the moment well, in these challenging times, it seems to have gone on, you know, publishing, as we touched on before, is a very slow business. It seems ages ago that I did it. But I, I've, I'm working with Nosy Crow at the moment, lovely publisher, uh, independent publisher. And I'm working, I've just finished the second of a, a series of three books with them, with a character, uh, for a young picture book about a dog called Ruffles. And uh, the first one's coming out in February next year. Yeah, so that's all done, and it seems ages ago. And I, I've just done book two, which I think actually comes out in the summer next year. So I'm imminently going to be starting book three. Uh, at the same time, I'm finishing off <laughs> um, my very last Douglas Douglas, book 12, which is crazy to think there are 12 out there or will be eventually. But, yeah, I'm just finishing off Douglas at the moment. So that's what's going on at the moment. And the other thing is I'm still, in fact, I just had a meeting the other day and it's been put back another three or four months, which is a shame. But I'm having an exhibition in Abingdon Museum, which is quite nice. I was asked, was invited to be part of that uh, an exhibition. It was going to be my book work, but actually as it evolved, particularly over lockdown, that uh, why not do one on nature drawing? So I've kind of, during lockdown, I started doing some more, uh, I started going back to my early days and doing sort of realistic drawings of, of animals with pencil. And um, I did more and more of those. And I thought oh, I would like to include some of those in the exhibition. And it just kind of got carried away now. And so now it's, it's all about that. <laughs> um, and it was scheduled for the summer, of course, that was delayed. Then it was scheduled for January. And now that has been put back till spring slash summer, obviously, until we can hopefully make sense of what's going on. But, um, but yeah, so that's nice. And that's kind of, there's still a few more pieces to do on that. But I'm, re- I'm enjoying that and just doing that. Something that's different from books. It's quite nice to do that. I will have to go to the museum when it is on because I see your um, nature drawings on your social media and they are beautiful. Yeah, that's very kind of you. Yeah, it's, it's very, quite different from the book stuff. But again, it's quite nice to go back to stuff. I've, I've always loved drawing animals, birds particularly, and there's a nice section on birds as well. So there's about 30 to 40 pieces, I think, quite a few. So yeah, that'd be good. Just a few. So, David, thank you so much for joining me today. It was really great to talk to you. You're very well. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for asking me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.